Welcome to Stemiverse Podcast Episode 58. In this episode, Peter catches up with Kieran Nolan. This is Kieran's second appearance on Stemiverse. Kieran is an educational technologist based in Melbourne, Australia. He's an international speaker, Coda Dojo mentor, blockchain expert, and business development executive. Kieran is driven by innovation, disruption, and lifelong learning. These drivers empower him to play his part in revolutionizing the edutech space as we know it. Kieran is an educational technologist at Wurana Park Primary School, where his strategic leadership has led the school to launching a 24-7 international virtual learning environment in Minecraft, Victoria's first Coda Dojo, Australia's first immersive education club, the world's youngest Cisco class, and the very first school on the blockchain. Kieran is also a co-founder and business development executive at Rocketshoes.io, which is an educational platform designed for a learner-centric approach and providing powerful tools to manage content in a decentralized way. Learners will be able to produce and keep track of their own learning materials, including assignments, notes, and digital assets. Organizations can manage large amounts of content in a way that is not possible with today's systems, allowing for radically new functionality and deep integration with the blockchain. And this is one of the things that we discuss in depth with Kieran during this episode, and it's really worth listening to it. This is Kieran's second appearance on Stemverse. The first time around, back in episode 25, we discussed the school in the cloud and how the blockchain influences education, as well as cryptocurrencies and its social and educational implications. In this second interview, Kieran talks about Rocket Shoes, the interplanetary file system, NEM.education, and we catch up with some exciting technology news. For the first time for Stemiverse, this interview comes in audio and video. If you want to watch me and Kieran conducting the interview and also see the various web resources that we are looking at during the recording, please go to the episode page. This is Stemiverse Podcast, episode 58. Stemiverse is a podcast produced by Tech Explorations. Our mission is to help educators become awesome at teaching STEM, be it at home or in the classroom. Whether you are a professional or casual teacher teaching in a classroom, or a parent or caretaker teaching at home, this podcast brings you the knowledge and experiences of practitioners, academics, entrepreneurs, and lifelong learners who are passionate about education and strive every day to help our children prepare for life in a world of radical change, and why not, abundance. Kieran, hi, how are you going? Good, how are you? Ah, man, really good. I'm really excited to have you on this, uh, let's call it enhanced Stenivus episode where we could video as well as audio. Doing a little trial here. I want to see what it's like to actually see the guests that I'm talking to as well as um, you know, hear them. So how have you been? Yeah, really good. Really good, really busy. Lots going on with uh, Rana Park, with Rocket Shoes, my startup, and with the, the NEM blockchain as well, so we can we can get into all of that. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I get the feeling that you've been very busy since the last time we spoke. Uh, I think last time we spoke, it must have been about um, maybe last year. I remember the Bitcoin back then was close to $20,000. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Australian for yeah. one Bitcoin. Let's <laughs> see what it is today. It is today. Uh, wow, we're under 5,000, so 4,000. Yeah, there, there you go. So it's a whole different story. But we're not here to talk about uh, Bitcoin and currencies. But definitely, we're going to talk yeah. about blockchain. Yeah. Uh, there's been a lot of developments in that area, and, and in particular, uh, blockchain and education. You've been making things on the blockchain, haven't you? Yeah. So we're doing, um, there's, well, it's multifaceted, I suppose. So we've got students learning about the tech in the school. Um, and doing a lot with actually Dogecoin because Dogecoin is like a joke cryptocurrency that actually has a value, but it doesn't matter if the kids lose it. So, so, that, so that's Doge, Dogecoin? Dogecoin, yeah. Um, How do you spell that? 
Yeah, it's either Doge or Doggy. So D O G E coin. So if you go to Doge Chain dot info, um, I can share the screen if you want. Yeah. Um, so it looks like this. Can you see that? Ah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So basically, this gives you an overview of what's happening with the Doge blockchain. There's a little mascot down the corner here. <laughs> um, oh, hold on, hold on a second. Hold on. Um, I, I rushed into things. Uh, first, we need to know who yeah. you are. So give us a, a quick you know, bio uh, of yourself. Um, yeah, so I'm an educational technologist working at Rana Park Primary School in Melbourne. Um, this school's kind of at the forefront of... Um, pedagogy and, and technology and how those are intertwined. And we get a lot of visitors to the school pretty much on a, on a daily basis to, to see what's happening. Um, we just had a current affair out the other day, actually, to um, do a story on the school. So that's either going up uh, next week or next year. So we're not too sure. <laughs> They're definitely going to let us know. I've got my own startup. So I'm a co-founder for a company called Rocket Shoes, mm. um, which is... Think the best way to think of it is a, is a, like a headless LMS um, that's that's built on something called IPFS and the the blockchain. Um, and I'm running a, what's called consensus of content, um, which is essentially uh, I won't say just students because teachers as well, but learners being able to vote on what they want to learn um, using the blockchain tech in an authenticated manner. Um, so yeah, that's <laughs> multiple. <Is> that all? <laughs> okay, not your typical school. Uh, I'd say you guys are like a, I don't know space age technology school, and uh, yeah. No, half of what you said doesn't make sense at this point. But we're <laughs> going to dig into it and uh, break it down into uh, simple language <laughs> so that I can understand what you're talking about. <laughs> sure. um, so uh, recently, I should also mention uh, because it, it's quite relevant. Um, I did another interview with uh, Mark Roper, who, funny enough, was one of my students in one of my last years at university when I was a lecturer. And he is uh, a founder of a blockchain and um, mining, uh, Bitcoin-like mining or cryptocurrency mining company. And in that episode, which hasn't gone live at this point in time, uh, it will be published uh, in the next couple of weeks. We're talking about how the blockchain can help save the world, among other things that we discussed. So in, 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 a, in a way, today with you, uh, Kieran, we're going to talk about how the blockchain can help save education right <laughs> through the, or, or maybe bring education into the 21st century. So maybe um, I think just just before we begin with the actual part of the interview, uh, before I hit record, we were talking about some really earth-moving developments in the Australian tech sector that have to do with government and uh, yeah. regulations. And I thought, wow, this is very significant because it does affect uh, a lot of us. And Australia does have a significant tech sector. So can you tell us what happened? Yeah, so the, the other night, um, basically, there's a new, a new bill passed that's uh, called the Assistance and Access Bill, which is essentially making um, encryption obsolete within Australia. So it's pretty much, I think, like unbeknownst to the politicians that have passed it, it's pretty much the most draconian thing that's happened in any country ever, and it's happened here. Um, so basically what it means is any tech company that has any form of encryption. So think of uh, Microsoft has a big presence here, um, Amazon, um, hmm. any, anyone you can think of, basically. But what about smaller companies? Like okay. hypothetically speaking, like me, uh, okay. hypothetically, I might be interested in protecting my company data by encrypting it. Exactly. Since I'm storing my files on the cloud so yep. work with my team but let's say i'm not really that i am but let's say that i am encrypting all of these files does that bill affect me as well yes so basically what it means is if you're a developer and really that's that's our main export in australia now is really good developers we make good tech and with this bill it's essentially killed the um, but basically what it means is that anyone who's working for, say, your company or for Microsoft or for, you know, pick whoever you want, they have to 
adhere to, say, what the say feds come in and say, we want access to such and such person, um, but you can't tell your boss that we have access and we want backdoors into the software, so compromised software, um, legally compromised software. And essentially that means you're no longer able to trust any software that's developed in Australia from now and forever until, until they get rid of this bill. So it essentially means that any tech company or any developer, more to the point, is going to go overseas. So we're going to lose everything in Australia that's been that's been built. And it affects, it affects me directly and it affects um, what I'm really passionate about, which is rocket shoes. Hmm. And we're essentially what, what, what rocket shoes is, and I can go, go in, into detail on it, but mm-hmm. um, kind of think of, think of it as a headless LMS where you have the, the um, data layer. So instead of your data as a student going from here all the way to servers over in California and then all the way back every time you want to use something that's that's how the cloud works it's flipped over so using IPFS the data belongs to the student and not to a third party now to do that you need certain types of encryption so that you can be more efficient so instead of the data going overseas it gets broken into little pieces put onto devices that are close by and then you retrieve that in a much more efficient manner. Now with this bill, that's gonna basically mean that it, this is the worst country in the world to develop something Hang on. like that. What about North Korea? Uh, yeah, not as, not as bad as here. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it's legit. World record? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think North Korea, now they probably do, uh, they're back to us and everything, but they haven't put anything into writing like this. this yeah, is, they just do it as dictators. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now it's legislative, so okay, at least we are by the law. Yeah, yeah, I suppose yeah, it's, it's pretty it's pretty amazing, but it's um, oh, it's it's essentially like if you think of a, like Lifehacker had a really good article, I'll, sh- I'll share the screen just so you can see. Yeah, sure. And just, So Lifehacker is uh, like a, a, an online magazine, right, that yeah. people go and exchange views on news or exchange news themselves. That's right. Um, basically, they, they go in-depth, but the, there was one part that really kind of made sense. Uh, definitely a good job. Yeah, some interesting comments. Flushing yeah, yeah. there's a million. If you go on Twitter, it's, it's yeah. crazy. Um, it's a day for democracy. Yeah. Oh, there was a, anyway, these, these guys break it down. You can, you can go and have a look at it yourself. But basically, yeah. they go into... In part of the article, um, say you're you're a a developer here or looking to come to a country that that is um, really good at developing technology, you can no longer come here because you you, you, one you can't trust the stuff that's been developed here, but two um, you could be either fired or if you if you don't follow what the um, legislation says, you could be sort of against the law. So it's lose-lose, like nobody wins. It's worth having a look at the details of this legislation because it does seem very alien to me, like seriously alien uh, in a country like Australia, Mm. to actually legislate to have an employee of a company being essentially forced to withhold information from the at least direct uh, supervisors the directors of the company and to be forced by the government to essentially lie and do things such as insert backdoors into the software that they're designing as developers like with the trust of the company and the the company's leadership and be forced to essentially compromise the product that the company is paying them to make so i really i'm going to spend a bit of time to have a look at this later and uh, look at the source of of this new bill and see how it's written. I think that the details make a difference in the matter. Uh, yeah. Just to take this back to rocket shoes, I'd like to, to first of all, talk a little bit about the motivation uh, that you, you had to go into development of this new software. So it is an LMS. So I guess our listeners understand what an LMS is. It's our learning management system, like something like a, a Blackboard. They may be familiar with, right? Or LearnDash, things like that. Yeah. You can put on your courseware on it, and the students can consume it in the classroom, at home, etc. 
what was wrong with those you know, more traditional existing solutions that prompted you to go and develop rocket shoes? Well, it's, it's not really in direct competition with that. It's um, with with LMSs. So it's if you if you think of it like a headless LMS, so meaning you can you can plug the plug it into any existing LMS, so oh, it makes it more efficient. But we're developing that and we're developing an app for Verona Park first. So Verona Parks will be the first school to use it. Um, and it essentially means that Verona Park is going to be the first school in the world where students own their own data. It's never happened before, which is really exciting. So basically this came about, it's kind of been a bit of a personal journey as well as- oh, Sorry, um, just, just to clarify here. So apparently if you use an LMS like Blackboard, for example, instructors, teachers, students' data live in the data center where the application is running. Yep. So essentially, if, if your application is running, say, in North Korea, then uh, your the government there, uh, whoever is in power, can directly access your data with no problem. There's legislation about that in the US. So if, say, the FBI has got suspicion to believe that there is some evidence in a particular case working on in the data center where your stuff is also stored, they have the right to access it. And the same thing happens in Australia and many parts of the world. Uh, what you're saying is that there is value in a person owning the data that they produce, the work, and that they need. Definitely, right? definitely. That I think goes to education. It kind of goes beyond that. So if you if you mm. think of um, at the moment, like the the I would say the number one tool that students use is YouTube. Um, we kind of talked about it just before. Yeah. But they but not just for for learning, but also for creating. They create a lot of content put it on YouTube, and that's really cool, except for any content you create belongs to Google. So we've had students in the past do their evening missions in the school, and we had one girl do, uh, I think it was GMO Foods, and did a um, her evening mission on that, put up the video, um, and yeah, the Google, because the politics obviously didn't align with whatever Google's is or are, they can delete your content. And that's what they did. And that's happened to a lot of kids. And that's not really fair. Just because they have a a good service, it doesn't mean that they should control what what students get to say. Same thing happened for me at Edutech, actually. This is even crazier. Doing a live stream of my presentation, I showed a one-minute clip of me on SBS. Obviously, the Google AI saw it and went, nope, that doesn't belong to you. Killed my stream and yeah, the only sorry that happened automatically, right? No human yeah. intervention. Yeah, the exactly. AI decided just sorry, no, you don't belong to you. So okay, well, mm. um, but the the only people that got to see that uh, live stream before they they killed it was um, two podcasters actually from from uh, the states. These two two kids that interviewed myself and uh, my co-founder Matt Riddle. And they had a podcast called uh, School Sucks, <laughs> which is really cool. Yeah, check um, that out. <laughs> they, they watched it live and then they died. So, so if, if I was straight live streaming on something like uh, Rocket Shoes or IPFS, then that data has belonged to me. It's not belonged to some third party and right. it's not beholden to an artificial intelligence telling me that my video doesn't belong to me. <laughs> it's crazy. So there's that, there's that, that aspect of it, which is really important. But there's also, uh, just in terms of a learning management system, you could, you could think of something like Google Classroom, a lot of it's pretty good, a lot of people use it. But again, your data's all going off to servers in California, it doesn't belong to you. So, so where, is, where is the data actually stored? Data, data centers usually. So when you, when you hear a cloud, just think of a, a bunch of computers overseas that they can look through. Um, this traditional model. But what about in Rocket Shoes, if you use Rocket Shoes? The Rocket Shoes, is data. is um, built off IPFS. So IPFS um, stands for the um, Interplanetary File System. So it's a new a new protocol. Um, that and it sounds crazy, but it's and that's kind of where the rocket shoes name came from. Because you know, put your rocket shoes on and, and away you go. But it's looking at the one the inefficiencies of HTTP. So if you ever go to a website, you see usually see HTTP at the front of it. That's a that's a protocol that's it's been pretty good up to now. Where you usually see the S on the end mm. stands for um, SSL certificate, so it's encryption. 
So that's illegal now, apparently, in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Encrypted. Yeah, backdoor, backdoor, please. <laughs> um, but basically, they're on centralized servers. So anytime that you go to a website and um, you refresh it or go to a, a video on YouTube and, and refresh it, downloading that whole thing from that central server every time. What IPFS does is it it's akin to torrents. If you've ever, ever used a torrent before to download a movie or something, or for legitimate reasons, like uh, downloading links or something like that, basically it splits up the file into little pieces and puts it in um, nodes and in uh, devices sort of closest to you and it brings it back as quickly as possible and yeah. as efficiently as possible. And what, what that means is you're not creating all this excess data. So if you think about, um, say this video we did now, and say we made a one megabyte clip um, out of this video and it went viral. So we did something silly now and it went completely viral and millions of people watched it. Put it up on YouTube, that one megabyte clip creates petabytes of data every time people bring it down. So it's highly inefficient. IPFS solves that. So it actually, the more people that watch it, the more efficient it gets and the faster the content's delivered. So um, efficiency is one aspect of it, but then there's also the, the ownership side of it. So you can prove, and this is where the blockchain comes in as well. So we're building rocket shoes off IPFS and the NEM blockchain the blockchain um, allows us to do time stamping, so you can prove 100% because it's a trustless network. So it means you can trustless means you can trust it um, because there's no human intervention. It's a it's a network of computers that all come to consensus, and basically the blockchain says yes, you did this at this time. It's 100% you, and then IPFS is the storage layer for that. So it's it's two factor but it's it's really cool because it means that now that the students who are working at run up or, or doing working on projects at run up can put that content there and then 20 years down the track they can get that data back there's no other so, system so like that kieran just to confirm that i understand right uh what ipfs can do especially for c content creators right because it will, it will assist everybody. I can see here that IPFS is a distributed web. Its mission is to make the web faster, safer, more open, which is definitely going to be a good thing for everyone. But on top of that, if you are a content creator, uh, what IPFS does is like when I upload a video, for example, a new lecture, a new PDF document, the network will automatically know that this a new document belongs to me or at least I was the first person to upload it and that information is stored in the network itself and therefore I can prove my copyright. That's right. Am I thinking the right way? Yep, yep, 100%. That is, um, that is extremely important because like, um, how many times have I had to go to Google and complain that somebody had copied a one of my videos breaching copyright laws pretty much everywhere but i had to prove to google with documentation that i am the legitimate creator of that content but if i understand right with ipfs i'm not going to have to do that because the network itself will know that i was the originator that's right exactly right and it, it allows for things like there's actually um we might have talked about it last time i can't remember but um off the steam blockchain STE. <laughs> There's a thing called DSound, and you can actually upload podcasts, so audio content, to IPFS, and it gets hashed on the Steam blockchain. And then through that, um, content creators actually get paid in cryptocurrency for their content, but they have 100% ownership over it. So, hmm. yeah, there's no disputing when you create something, it's 100% yours, and the, the network agrees, and everybody agrees that basically because you can hash down to the atomic level, meaning that you can have content that's 100% yours. Hey, there we go. Yeah, um, yeah so it's that's super different. exciting, super exciting stuff. It's really going to, well, it is going to change everything. And I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of competitors. Um, Storage is one I probably talked about last time that are decentralized and allow for content to be 100% owned. But I think this is out of all of them is the most efficient. And if you if you get time, watch the uh, read the white paper. It's mm. really really interesting. 
Um, but basically, so we're, we're taking that, but building on top of it, and we're actually speaking to Google for Warana Park, we're using Google SSO, so single sign-on. Mm-hmm. So kids can just click, boom, they're in through, through an app. So we're developing for touch first purposely. So they click into their um, wallet, so they have a learning wallet, and then all their files that are in there are there for the next thousand years. And the really cool thing, and this is why it's it's kind of a personal journey, is because we've, uh, like I mentioned, the kids doing Enigma machines. We were using an LMS at one point that was kind of cool that um, the kids all liked, but they jacked their prices up and our school couldn't afford it anymore. So they kind of picked up shop and ran off with all the kids' data. So the cool thing with this now is even if Rocket Shoes disappears tomorrow, your data is there forever on IPFS and no one can take it away from you. So it has real implications for education in particular because it means now, say, you have a, a daughter in prep and she's done some amazing artwork. We probably all did amazing artwork in prep and then it kind of disappears and, you know, you never see it again. But that artwork, she can get 20, 40 years later and use it, like, within in her job or whatever she wants to do. So yeah. it becomes a learning wallet that follows you forever through your whole learning journey of your life that you can <laughs> share with everyone. So it's super exciting. As you're saying that, like, a couple of things come to mind. First is how... Education is changing regardless of whether IPFS is here or not. And I'm thinking of gaining entry into universities using projects like in a project portfolio. We talked about that in previous episodes. So that's uh, that's one place where you know you have all your work, at least all your digital work. And if your work is not digital, it can be digitized, right? These days, there's no shortage of methods to get everything in cyberspace. So you've got all this work in... In, on the internet somewhere, look, you can use IPFS. And uh, the fact that you use IPFS means that it is secure on the internet, regardless of which application layer you're using on top of it. And then right. another thing I was thinking is like, at least in our generation, right, pretty much uh, we were kids before the web came along and um, web 2.0 eventually. I really only have a few scraps of work that I did when I was 10 years old, almost yeah. left. Like, it's all distance memory. Yeah. Almost nothing left. But what you're saying is that this technology will allow pretty much kids to record everything that they've ever done from the moment they were able to get on a computer. Record it and own it 100%. And own it. Yeah. And the network knows who the yeah. owner is. It's so exciting. So, so a good example. I'll just I'll share this with you. This is I'm super um, excited about this one. There's basically, we had some students uh, last week building sustainable housing using Tinkercad, and they made some amazing stuff. Printed them out, all the rest of it. Wow. But what this means is these STL files that we um, saved. So if I got the other one, uh, somewhere. Anyway, um, yeah, you kind of get the idea from the Hmm. pictures. But um, these files here, potentially, if the kids wanted to down the track, because we've uploaded the STL files to um, Rocket Shoes, they can get them back and they can do something like this and actually live in that house that they made in primary school. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, look at that. But a robot building house. I think at the moment it's about one, oh no, I mean about two bitcoins to 3D print and live in a house. <laughs> the kids who have just made those sustainable houses from the your house has to be circular. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that, that tech's getting cheaper and better like every day. So literally those kids who have made their own houses, they could live, the, live in, um, in the not too distant future. That's amazing. Yeah, so that you want to uh, tell us a little bit more about, I guess, the practical implications and opportunities for a teacher using either Rocket Shoes or something like Rocket Shoes. I think the idea here is data ownership and blockchain um, and the network being aware of the work and the owner of the work yeah, uh, and preserving so. it into the future, like some of, some of the opportunities here for teachers. Yeah, I think there's there's a fair few. So if you look at probably probably the one that springs to mind first 
is the GDRP, which is the General Data Protection Regulation out of um, Europe. Now that's that legislation does expand to Australia because we have a lot of international students here, mm-hmm. um, and all pretty much every LMS, if not all of them, um, haven't really thought about it at all. So basically, what it means for um, maybe not so much a classroom teacher at the moment, but for their students going into the future, the LMS that they're using, so say they're using, uh, you mentioned Blackboard before, or if they're using Google Classroom or um, Mm -hmm. Edmodo or something like that, if you plug Rocket Shoes in as the storage layer instead of it going over to servers overseas, then you're compliant with the uh, GDPR and it also means that you know the, the students have ownership as well. So there's there's a lot of implications in terms of the the storage layer. I think for the classroom level, I think it means it's one. It's a good learning tool. So looking at where your data is going in particular. So there's a there's a app that we're using at the moment that we're beta testing with the kids here called uh, Textile, and Textile is essentially. Um, if you've ever used uh, Instagram before, it's essentially that, but on IPFS and on, on the blockchain. And so what does it do? What does <clears throat> so you, you have threads and you take, so it's just for photos. You take your photos, yeah. you share your photos with your friends, but you have ownership over that content so you can revoke it at any time. So if you put that out to um, a classroom setting, you can have students taking photos, sharing work with a teacher, but then they can revoke that when they want to, when they move on to another school. So really it's from from a, a student perspective, it's super important. But if you think of it from a teacher perspective, there's a lot, and this goes right from K through to, to higher ed, there's no system at the moment where teachers can create content. So flipped learning um, where you're creating a video and you want to share it with your students. At the moment, there's no way of indexing that. So you have stuff in little bits and pieces all over the place on YouTube, maybe on Vimeo, maybe on whatever else, and it all gets lost. It all gets lost and there's no way of finding who does it. Even if you have an LMS, it's still all over the place. What RocketChoose allows for and what IPFS allows for is to hash all that content you can see who it belongs to and search it and it becomes highly searchable and nothing gets lost. So the implications for that are absolutely huge when you think of both student-created content and then teacher-created content that they can find again in, you know, six months' time. You're like, what was that thing I did? Uh, no idea where it is or, like, where it's gone. Like, that's going to become a thing of the past. I guess, uh, are there tools to provide all this functionality at the moment? or Yeah, so that's so we're actually working on teacher tools at the moment. Um, and we've got a really good development team behind the project. So basically, is it still, is your development sti- uh, still in Australia? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For now. Knock on wood, yeah, I hope so. Um, uh, have you implemented backdoors? Yeah, no, we haven't, but it's exactly right. Um, well, and that, that's something that I think we need to really address as well. We've actually got, just look at my calendar, we've got a, um, a meetup on Monday talking to a whole bunch of developers that are all coming into Stone and Chalk and on the blockchain mm-hmm. center and everything um, to discuss that specifically because I think somebody needs to uh, take some action with that. But basically with, with uh, Rocket Shoes, we're broken down into milestones and we've been funded through the NEM community. Um, oh yeah, could you tell us about NEM because I, I found it very interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, it's really exciting. So basically what they, what they do instead of traditional sort of VC funding or grants or the usual ways that, that startups get funded with you know borrowing money and all that sort of thing, what NEM do is actually fund projects based on community votes. So, yeah, so this is this is actually my my website, so NEM Education. So this is using another aspect of, of one of the things you can do with uh, NEM. But just going back to the votes uh, or the um, community setup first for um, – I can actually share it. Hang on a second. Yep. Uh, you can take control. NEM. Uh, 
or just retrieving a, a document from the web. Um, is that coming up? Yes. Um, yeah, so basically for Rock Shoes, we were funded by the community. So if you imagine um, like hundreds of people or thousands of people saying, yes, we like this project, we want it to go ahead, then they, they fund it in cryptocurrency. So we got funded in what's called Zem. So Zem is a, is a crypto that's on the, the NEM blockchain. NEM stands for New Economy Movement. Um, but these are all the different startups that have been funded recently. Rocket Shoes isn't listed there for some reason, but probably these are all newer than ours. Um, but we're basically gone through the process of being funded by the community. And what that means is they vote. So you have a thing called uh, proof of importance, um, which is a little bit different to uh, how the Bitcoin consensus algorithms work, but it basically means that people who are actually using the platform get more of a say and you need X amount of POI, proof of importance, to get your, your startup funded. And we got that. So we got that for, for at the start of the year and also sort of, yeah, towards the start of the year. Right. And um, yeah, they basically the community sure. reviews your white paper and um, goes through the whole process of, of what you're actually going to build out and then they fund it. So it's where we're kind of starting milestone two. We just finished milestone one. So, so I've already got students using the platform and um, the community basically looks at it and sees if you're doing what you say you're doing. And they, they so if, money um, if I understood right, so what name is, is something similar to Kickstarter, right? So crowdfunding. Well, that's that's one aspect of it. So that's just yeah. one thing that the community does, but it's a whole ecosystem of, um, well, it's a cryptocurrency that, that, and a blockchain, but a whole ecosystem of blockchain things that you can do with that. So one of the other things that I'm working on at the moment is NEM education. And so basically this is consensus of content, so the student voice on the blockchain. So if you've ever done something like a, um, a survey monkey or something like that mm-hmm. before, they're pretty good, but you can't really trust the data because it's on a centralized server. And basically that means like if you're, if you're trying to get authentic um, data on a, on a vote, something like a vote um, or something like a consensus, you can't trust something like that. Could have a backdoor. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Data yeah. on the central server could be yeah. tampered with. Exactly. Exactly right. And you and you don't really you can't really trust that the end person voting is the person they say they are, or is you can. Of course, yeah, they can hide um, alter their identity, you know, on the internet in a way. You, on the internet is the internet is bipolar. I find if you're really careful, you can be anyone you want to be. Yeah. But on the other hand. The more you use it, the harder it is to hide who you are. <laughs> like it's totally transparent. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, but with this, anyway, so we've got um, consensus of content in every school term. So this is something that everyone can be involved with if they want to. So any mm-hmm. any schools you're connected with, if they want to learn about blockchain technology, they can join up on here. And it's an ageless space. So I say that because I think. Teachers should be lifelong learners as, as well as students. So I want everyone to be able to to use the platform and and uh, learn as much as possible. But basically, we're we're flipping the idea on its head of um, that top down approach of you need to learn this now to progress to the next thing. Like I think that's kind of going out the window. So we're using the name blockchain. So you can see on here there's like poll addresses for so like Genesis vote. Um, blockchain technology modules. That was the last vote that went through. So we've actually got a, a module built on that. And now we've got um, another module vote which students and teachers can all, all vote on. So whatever they want to learn, they can vote on that and then it gets built out. But then the really cool thing is if that content was useful, people can vote on that as well. So, you know, when you go to study at university and there's a lot of degrees that, you know, you have X amount of content that was really good and then a bunch that was like, yeah, I'm never going to use that again ever. But you never get a say in how that works. Uh, no, you can signal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so, so um, be able to. 
So this is an educational resource, as you said, ageless. Uh, would you recommend uh, our listeners to join us? And yeah, for sure. I mean, open to anyone, and I think the um, the more of a community that we can build around learning about this sort of technology, I think the better better we'll all be. Because it's it's I've been thinking for the last couple of years on how you replicate what's happening at Verona Park and what students are learning here, but do that for everyone in an ageless manner because there's so many people who have no idea of what's what's going on at the moment. You can see that with the encryption bill that's just come through. But um, I think this is a solution to that. So if you if you look at um, IBM's knowledge doubling curve, I think we might have talked about this last time, but basically the there's an image for it. Mm. Um, an inflection point. Yeah, so we're we're coming up to this isn't the best one, but we're coming up to twenty twenty, where knowledge is going to double every eleven or twelve hours. Um, at the moment, I think we're at every eleven months. But once we hit that mark of twelve hours, it's going to be exponential from there. And that's um, not just data; that's can, knowledge. Yeah, I wanted to differentiate on that because obviously we we all know how many new cat and dog videos and prank videos <laughs> go on youtube every second right uh, probably tripling every second i wouldn't call that knowledge though mm-hmm. i'd call that data uh, noise <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah you're talking about actual knowledge yeah uh, there, no i've got a phd in knowledge management <laughs> not many people know <laughs> there you go. And, yeah, yeah and the it took me couple of years to figure out now what is knowledge i almost said what the hell is knowledge but can I, maybe i can be better what is knowledge right uh and it's a very difficult question to answer and eventually i, I came up with a simple definition because if it's complicated nobody will, will care so i defined knowledge as a solution to problems so you've got a problem in order to solve the problem uh, you need knowledge that will provide things such as the know-how and the, de- the details of the steps that are involved and i did that because i was working with uh, knowledge based systems back then and knowledge bases and you need a definition so uh is that the kind of knowledge that ibm here predicts that yeah. we'll be yeah. able to know how to do more stuff and we'll be able to solve problems at an accelerating rate to the extent that every 12 hours we'll know how to do more stuff than the as much solve as many problems and know how to do as many new things as we did in the previous 12 hours because it's mind-boggling it really is mind-boggling <laughs> but it also means that we need to learn how to unlearn and learn again because Yep. rapidly so th- this is how like the that top-down um uh, sort of hierarchical education system isn't going to work anymore because you mm-hmm. can't at the moment it's kind of like read the dictionary before you want to go and write something it's like okay well, what happens when the dictionary is changing every 12 hours <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, and there's like a hundred and fifty thousand new words in it <laughs> from <laughs> the last 12 hours and that dictionary has got like 50 million words uh, because of the new things that we discover constantly. That's right. That's right. Like the paper so, doesn't cut it uh, anymore. They kind, of, they, they kind of talk about it in terms of a problem. Um, actually, Buckminster Fuller talks about it um, in depth as well, and he's going all the way back. But the I don't see it as a problem. I think it's kind of exciting, and I think oh, absolutely. <laughs> really cool things that are going to come out of that and particularly in education i think it's going to be awesome for students like you can like the the, the, the old model of sort of um you know road learning of doing your times tables like that's yeah it's it's pointless really isn't it like <laughs> i think the most important years for a teacher uh are the first i don't know two or three years of a student's life in school where they learn how to read write and calculate because from that point onwards it's almost pointless to teach anything uh, you'd need to provide some kind of meta teaching uh, infrastructure where by that i mean expose students with a bit of guidance to all these amazing developments and opportunities yeah allow them to make their own explorations that's right i realize that 
you know, because of those statistics and the reality of where knowledge is going in, in this century, uh, all technologies and ways of doing things like IP, in, internet protocol, right? Yeah. Not good enough anymore. Uh, what we thought a few years ago that was quite awesome when, when we came to sharing files, large files on the web, uh, not good enough anymore. That's why IPFS comes in. So we've got a new, and, and the like, also like in competing technologies and the blockchain, which provide an infrastructure that can allow us to grow at that exponential rhythm when it comes to creating and accumulating knowledge. Right. But you know, when it comes back to teachers, I guess, wow, that's amazing. It's like, how can possibly a teacher be replaced by your robot when, um, uh, you know, it's, we've talked about this in previous episodes where a teacher has got so much more to teach these days and uh, so much more guidance to provide that. Uh, it's, it's a job that never ends and themselves need to be, or ourselves, I should say, need to be um, basically feeling like students constantly. So we, there's the distinction between teachers and students is also almost extinct at this point. It's a bit more experience. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree completely. I think if you're not excited about learning and if you're not a lifelong learner, what's the point? Like you may as well go and do something else. Cause I think that if you're, if, if you're, interested in learning the same way the students are, then, you know, it doesn't, it's not even like work. <laughs> like, you know, it is learning with them all the time. Like it's a symbiotic thing. But. You know, uh, interesting statistic. I was uh, reading a newspaper yesterday. I rarely do that, but uh, I happened to read a newspaper and it was talking about France, how France has got about 9% unemployment right now, which uh, it is a relatively high percentage of people unemployed compared to places like Australia. Mm. But the interesting bit in it was not so much the 9% was that out of, uh, in France, there's a lot of new job uh, openings every year uh, that could actually absorb all of those unemployed people. So, so like something like 400,000 new jobs uh, per year created or actually every six months. Um, so I can remember the details, but there's a lot of new jobs created, but those jobs require particular skills that the 9% of unemployed people don't have. So, um, for example, a lot of programmers and uh, IT related skills, uh, machine operators as well. So I thought that was interesting. I thought that a machine operator is somebody that you know, pulls a lever and makes a, you know, excavator move but no like you actually need to have some pretty decent mathematics skills even programming you need to program a machine you need to understand how networks work to operate these machines in modern factories and those are the kinds of jobs that are opening up mm -hmm. yeah so, exactly. well so, yeah uh, well i think networking in particular is super important and there's not enough emphasis on it so we've we've actually had a group of um cybersecurity graduates doing placement here at Orana. So we had about 12, I think, over the last term, uh, actually working with the students here. So we built a, uh, oh, that was the other thing. So we finished our um, STEM center, which is really cool, or STEM center, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I think we talked about it last time where we got funding through BTC and the kids got to vote on what hardware goes in there. Yes. Uh, and built it out of shipping containers. So we, we finished that and these cybersecurity students came in the nick of time <laughs> to be honest they really helped out so they helped us build a network engineering space in the one of the containers so we have a cisco container a container and um yeah the kids building their own networks and packet chaser like um doing it virtually and then the logical networks and then building them in a lab in real life with hardware donated by a local tafe so it's it's really cool really amazing so i think that's super important as well like from a young age, being able to think about how computers talk to each other, mm. that's something that's not taught, I don't think, enough. Internet of Things, right? Yeah. Um, what IBM was saying in the chart you showed earlier, so Internet of Things is all contributing a lot to that expansion of knowledge creation and acquisition. That's right. It's all, it's all about networks now, machines talking to other machines. Uh, yeah. You need to be on top of this. Yeah, that's so right. Any, any, any part of life is now going to be affected by all of these technologies merging. Well, it's, it's fascinating. Like, there's, a, there's a bit of a debate going on at the moment in the blockchain space, just uh, 
kind of at the, the higher levels, I suppose. So if you look at um, Dan Larimer and like his school of thought and um, Vitalik Buterin. So Vitalik, he invented Ethereum. Yes. And um, Dan Larimer has invented a, a bunch of really cool blockchain techs, including Steam. But he, what's his latest one? EOS. So EOS is sort of competing with, with Ethereum. And um, to break it down really simply, like Vitalik sort of sees artificial intelligence um, running consensus algorithms to basically run everything for us. And so we can go on a holiday, finally. Yeah, yeah. And, but but then Larimer sort of sees it as, no, you need to put people in charge of that and incentivize people to, you know, vote sort of thing. So it's, it's really interesting to see that that duality sort of playing out because it's like it, it's kind of like that old left-right paradigm that people used to go on about. It's kind of morphed into this like AI versus people and which way are we going to go? So it's fascinating. It's the next evolution of uh, human civilization, I guess. Like I was, I'm watching this documentary on SBS about the history of Europe. And uh, it's showing uh, the milestones in European development, like ancient Athens, when the citizens of Athens had a bit of time to think about science, technology, society, to build the democracy of Athens. And you've got renaissance uh, uh, due to the uh, accumulation of wealth in Europe. Uh, A lot of it was obviously because of slaves in Africa and uh, bringing in um, uh, spices from Asia and sugar from America and so on. So there's a lot of negative aspects in this Mm. story. But the wealth that was created gave rise to renaissance and amazing works of art and you know, the reformation and you had the the new states uh, with actual human rights being um, constructed and developed in Europe at the time. And, and that continued every time that you had that sense of abundance that we've got the ability now to do things because we don't have to be tied up to just survive. Mm. You have the next step in evolution of, of humanity. And I get the feeling that all these technologies start to, to get us to that point where we have amazing tools that give a lot of power and increasingly in the world, you've got more resources like SpaceX, for example, starting asteroids uh, where we can have abundant precious elements for electronics, for mm-hmm. batteries, efficient batteries for energy production and so on. So uh, is it the feeling that you get, like when you see your students, like compare your students to when you were in our generation, basically the, um, the things that we learned, the kind of things that our mind was occupied with as we were students, compared to what you see, your students are creating 3D versions of the house that they're going to automatically build in the future. Yeah. And that is stored in a memory that will never fade as long as there is a planet and then we can colonize other planets. And then the, yeah. the interplanetary file system is going to become galactic file system, uh, GSFS maybe. Like, yeah, yeah, what's yeah. your feeling all this? No, it's, yeah, definitely. I think the... Well, it's huge since, like, I was a kid. Like, when I was 10, I was a blithering idiot compared to this. <laughs> I knew <mean>, nothing. <laughs> yeah, so I'd sit in the corner and do nothing for hours. I thought it's normal. <laughs> I was playing, like, Mario Brothers, but I wasn't really... Yes. Like, the, the higher-order thought these kids are thinking now is just mind-blowing. But it's all thanks to the internet and being connected. That's, it kind of annoys me when you see these schools that are like banning technology and blocking the internet. It's like, really? That's how you learn. Like the, mm. what, what, oh God, there's my phone going out there, but I'll, I'll okay. better go in a second, I think, but that's all right. Um, the other thing I wanted to announce, and this sort of goes in, into that is we've had, so we had a current affair out last uh, Friday. Um, and Basically, we're going to go one-to-one smartphones for next year. So oh. It's really cool. So, And it's it kind of goes, flies in the face a little bit of these schools that are saying, you know, phones are bad, distraction tools, blah, 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 blah. But what it means is, we're, and we're not just doing it for the sake of it, we're, we're doing it purposely. So there's 
equity of access because not every student can afford the latest MacBook Pro that these you know, private schools can afford. Mm. So families can now get a 98 or $89 Android device and be connected and just as connected as the peers, but we're going to do it on a, on a tiered thing. So like um, Android, a cheap Android device, like mid-range up to an iPhone and the kids can sort of choose what they want. So, so the kids will be given a smartphone yep. by the school to be yep. able to participate in the digital education. That's right. So, so the create content, consume create content. content. So there's the creating content's huge, but the um, what happens with um, rocket shoes and so like textile, for example. So they're called DAPs, decentralized apps. Um, basically, they allow you to create a distributed network of phones. So every phone in the network becomes a node in the network. Yeah. So it becomes super efficient. So the more phones you have in the school, the more your data gets to you as quickly as possible. So we're creating a distributed network within the school. But it also allows us to create an augmented reality learning space throughout the school. So every device has AR, so you can create triggers. So the whole school is going to become a magical AR learning space. So it's multifaceted. Like we're not not just going, oh, we're getting phones for the sake of it. Like the, it's purpose driven, and it's it's going to solve a lot of problems that I think are in education at the moment. Like without having a device with you, and. It, the other point is ethics. So it's at the moment, and this is something people don't really think about from a student's perspective. At the moment, you have uh, a lot of, we well, yeah, like all of us, so we, I've got a phone in my pocket now, you probably do too. Everyone who's an adult has a phone in their pocket and we use at it to one. learn all the time. So we pull it up, oh, is that thing that we wanted to do? And we look it up, but we do that in front of kids. And we're basically saying to them, or we're allowed to learn like this, but you're not, like we're better than you sort of thing. And it's not really fair because it's a, a 24 seven learning device that you can have in your pocket. So that's where we're sort of coming at it from. And we've got um, a new internet connection or a fiber optics coming across the school to support it. And yeah, it's all, it's all happening next year. So I'm like, I'm stoked. So we'll have to do another podcast to <laughs> when we actually get it all up and running to-, to uh, You've got to get uh, this done again. Like you've got, as I said before we started, you've got so many developments uh, to tell us about that I feel that I've been sleeping since the last time we spoke. Obviously, I've been doing other things, but like this is super important, and I feel like I've been sleeping on this particular topic, so it's good to catch up again. Um, yeah. Well, how about we wrap it up here, and in conclusion, I'd like to ask you to summarize all of the amazing things that you Sure. Uh, discussed uh, that we discussed, and, and from the teacher's point of view, what should they pay attention to? What should they take home, and perhaps do a little bit of work after listening to this podcast? How do they prepare for all this? Um, I think probably the the best thing to do is jump onto nem.education, um, and you can sign up there, and you can you can jump into some blockchain modules and have your say in what you want to learn. The other thing I would suggest, or you can go to my website as well, kdnolan.com, and I've got everything on there sort of listed. That's probably the best place to start. Yep. The Rocket Shoes is still in development, so we're developing specifically for Verona, but definitely worth reading through the white paper. Um, we've got some videos on the website that kind of explain it as well. And what was the other thing we we're talking about? And the IPFS white paper. Yes. I think that's really worth reading through because you're – it's there's some stuff online that kind of breaks it down, but if you read the white paper and then do a little bit of research, take an hour just to go through it, um, it'll really expand your mind into into what's possible. And the other thing was, what else did we talk about? Uh, register in uh, name dot education. Yeah, register there, yeah. and yeah, we'll talk about Get the one course. program next time. <laughs> yeah. And I'd say check out the new bill that uh, oh, yeah. makes Australian internet uh, worse than uh, North Korean or <laughs> Chinese. <laughs> remember the back doors. <laughs> Great. And with that, <laughs> um, I'd like to thank you, Kiran. It was really enlightening. Gee, what an hour. I've learned so much. Uh, are you going to make me very busy for the next couple of days? <laughs> I'm good. I'm trying to finish my course. Uh, I've got a new course on 
uh, KiCad and uh, uh, PCB design software, but uh, I'm going to take a bit of time to look into all that. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Good, good to see you. Thank you, Kieran. Talk soon. Talk soon. Bye. That's all for this episode. The notes for this episode that include links to many of the resources mentioned and information on how to get in touch with Kieran are available on our website, techexplorations.com. Each episode comes with its own page on the Tech Explorations website and a goldmine of information in the notes. This Stemvest podcast episode was produced by Tech Explorations. Do you have any questions or suggestions? Would you like to nominate a friend or colleague to be our guest? please email us at pa at texplore.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes by searching for the name of our podcast, STEMiverse. That's S-T-E-M-I-V-E-R-S-E. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again next time.